All righty. Well, come on back. Come on back and relax. And uh, hey, at the end of today, we're going to pray for Madeline. Madeline Rickard is heading off uh, Wednesday to move to Florida for the year. And uh, she is going to be part of a school of worship for about 10 months. I think it's 10 months, right? And go through that curriculum. And so we're going to pray her off at the end. If I get excited and forget, yell at me or do whatever. No, I'm kidding, but I won't forget. And then we have a couple other kids leaving in a couple weeks. Helen and Kate are moving to near San Diego to intern in the ministry there. So we'll pray for them at a later time. But lots of things going on and lots of kids, young people. I say kids, they're not kids. Uh, young people going back to college. Uh, so uh, we'll pray for them as well. So uh, what a blessed time to send out young people uh, who love the Lord and want to share his life and resource with many. Well, here's where we are. We're in John 13. John 13. And uh, we have just incredibly tackled the foot washing. Can you imagine washing people's feet on the night in which you knew you were going to march to your death? That's just not what I would have on my selfish agenda. And yet, miraculously, within, you know, hours now, we're within hours, chapters 13 through 17, give us the last night of Jesus' life. You know that he instituted the Passover and the communion supper, and yet it's not in John. John gives us the other details of that night. But here he is, and we're on holy ground, aren't we? As Jesus then turns his attention to his followers and gives them what he would say as final instructions. That's where we are in the story. And you know that it was the feast of the Passover, or before the feast of the Passover. Remember, Paul, I'm reading from chapter 13, verse 1. Remember, Paul, in the New Testament, in his writings, tells us Jesus is our Passover lamb. So on the time of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, I'm sort of reviewing this because I want to put all these themes together for you. You understand that the hour that Jesus would be glorified is a major theme all throughout the book of John. And that gives you hope and confidence in the Lord. And it takes your anxiety level and goes, and it lowers it. And here's why. Because Jesus was on the divine timetable. And guess what? He still is with you and your life. And so that's a comfort. Jesus knew that his hour had come. Nothing happened unless it was filtered through the Father. That he should depart from this world to the Father. Watch this. Having loved his own to the end, you can read the rest of it, to the end, to the uttermost. 
In other words, Jesus loves his followers to the fullest extent possible, and it's limitless. There's this famous theologian. I don't happen to agree with a lot of the things he says, but man, this thing was amazing that he said. His name was Karl Barth. And Karl Barth was really ultra intellectual. I mean, unlike me, I mean, he, he was ultra intellectual and he got to be in his 80s and somebody asked him now, what's the greatest theological point if you had to teach one thing the rest of your life or that people or that you could communicate to people so that they would know for victorious Christian living? And you know what he said? <laughs> he said, I'd teach this. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's his answer. See, here's what's amazing. We sing songs about how much we love Jesus, but that's not amazing, really, because Jesus is worthy to be loved and praised. What's amazing and awe-inspiring and wowing, if that's a word or a phrase, is that he loves us. That's it. And if we would settle that down in our hearts, in our very beings, he loved his own. In fact, John knew it. The writer John knew it. We're going to see it here. He just called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. It's not that he's bragging. No, it's the opposite of that. He's in awe and wonder and humbled by the fact that him, the one who came out of the heavens as a baby, loved him, John. And he loves you this way, you see. Well, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end and supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon's son to betray him. Jesus knowing that the father had given all things into his hands. I didn't do a great job of explaining this last week, but I think you need to know it. That's the past. Jesus knows that the father had given all things into his hands. Watch this. And Jesus knows the future, that he had come from God. Oh, that's the past, sorry. And that he was going to God, that's the future, rose up from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. He was able to serve. When your past is settled by faith and your present is sure, that's hope, you're free to love and serve in the present. And what did Paul say? Paul said, what are, what are some great things? Faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these are is love. Paul knew you could live in the present. Your faith is, or excuse me, your past is settled. By faith, your sins have been forgiven. All the guilt and shame wiped away. And I got to tell you, folks, if I dwell on my life pre-Christ, oof. There's guilt and shame that sort of comes, and then the, but the blood. It's settled, and he settled it. And then I recognize that I and we and us, all who are in Christ, 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Whoa. My, my future is settled so I'm free, all of that, all the shackles, all of the things that bind me, I'm here and I'm ready 
to just serve in the present. And isn't that amazing? Because what, what happens, folks? I understand. I'm not just patting you on the head and saying it's easy and suck it up. What do we do in biblical counseling? What do we do when people come to see me? What are they hung up on? Things that happened in the past. They can't get past it. Things that happened to them. And I understand there's some dastardly, awful things that happen to people. Get it. But your identity is not in that thing anymore. Your identity is in Jesus Christ. And you're a victor in him. And you're a prince or a princess. You're a child of the king. That's your identity. You're not a victim anymore like Jesus wasn't a victim. You're a victor. That's your past. And your future is, you're currently, you're a saint. You're a set-apart one. And all the saints will live with him, and we're going to come back and rule and reign with him. It's a total blessing. And so all of that, and I brought you to that, to see that Jesus then was free, just like we're free, to serve. And he washes their feet. And remember, Peter says, <laughs> their Lord has this exchange with Peter. Simon Peter, uh, he comes up to him and says, Lord, are you washing my feet? <laughs> I, I can just hear him saying it, right? Probably I can hear myself saying something like this. And Jesus said, what I'm doing, you don't understand, and, but you're going to know after this. And Peter said, hey, you, you'll never wash my feet. Peter was the king of declarative statements. I'll never leave you, Lord. I'll, you'll never wash my feet. And Lord says something interesting here. If I don't wash you, you have no part with me. And Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. So funny. And Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, uh, but is completely clean. He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. Now, what does all that mean? When you become a Christian, you surrender your life to Christ. You're baptized into the death of Jesus and raised to new life. And you get baptized, and we, it's a symbol of what's happened internally. But, Christians, you walk in this world. You hear the dirty jokes. You see the bad images, even if you're not trying sometimes. You, you mess up. You walk, and your feet get dirty. And the Bible tells us, if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In other words, listen, this is important. We need to keep short accounts with God. It's not that he's forgiving us all over again. No, he, forgived, he forgave us. Oh, I can't even get my tenses right. He forgave us. And yet, there's this fellowship between us and the Lord where we come and we agree with him that what we did was sin during the day. And we confess it. And the confession is not really for him. It's for you. So you can clear the air and just be close to the Lord. And that's so wonderful. And are we doing that? Are we doing that? Now, listen, some of us who tend to be on the hyper scale go, oh, my goodness, I forgot X, Y. I mean, I've confessed 42 things today, and I forgot the 43rd. Oh, don't worry about that. The Lord has you covered. But there are some of us that just blow it off completely. I don't need to do that. But the Lord just wants you to keep coming and just to keep agreeing with him. Why would the Lord want you to do that? Because you and I, I don't know about you, but me, let me just take myself as an example. I tend to get haughty in spirit. 
I have the opposite problem than feeling low in spirit. I tend to get haughty in spirit. But you know, when, when I agree with God that what I did was not a mistake, or I have an anger problem, or anything like that, but I call it what it is. I just agree with God with what it is. It's sin, and I sinned, Lord, and I sinned against that person or whatever, but Lord, it was, me, it was you that I sinned against. Now I go make it right with that person. You know what it tends to do to my haughty spirit? Keep me in the right frame of mind. And it also keeps me in close contact with the Lord. That's what he's talking about there. And I wanted to go back over that because I don't think I did a very good job of teaching that. Well, anyway, we get to this. <clears throat> when he'd washed their feet, verse 12, sat down. He said to them, verse 12, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord and you say, well, for so I am. If I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Folks, if the Lord would stoop low and serve and wash these smelly feet, because there was no servant there that traditionally would be there, because this was a ragtag bunch of guys who sort of just walked around and had to find an upper room, and they did, and there wasn't the traditional person there to do the washing. And we know from another gospel that they were arguing at the same time that this is happening about who is the greatest. And instead of just standing up and Jesus saying, I'm the greatest, no, he just gets up silently, girds himself, while they're arguing, and begins to wash people's feet, his friends. Wow. And he says this, as a Christian, as people who are followers of the Lord, you know what you and I are to do? Not necessarily to go around and wash everybody's feet, you know, uh, you know that, but maybe if you see a need somewhere, out in your life, in the highways and byways of life, and the Lord puts it on your heart to meet that need, go and meet that need and stoop low. And don't worry about class distinction or anything. Just go and do it. And we talked about Philippians 2, the mind of Christ, who came out of the heavens, didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God, but humbled himself to the point of death, but not just death. Death on a cross, which is the most humiliating way to ever die. And then, of course, he will in time be exalted. And that's what happens for us. If you want to have life, lose your life. If you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, be the servant, be the uh, one who comes and serves others, the servant of all. Wow. And we got it backwards. Why do we have so many discontented, anxious, fearful, hurting people in America? Because America's ideal is to build your own kingdom. It's the exact opposite of what the Lord teaches. Get it? All right. By the way, nobody's here against capitalism or anything like that. Okay? Just, you don't have to send anything about that. But... It's serving people where life really is lived. Okay, we talked about that. Look on to verse 18. I do not speak concerning all of you. Who's he talking about? 
Well, he was talking about Judas. He knew by this time that Judas was going down the wrong path. In another gospel, it says, woe to you who uh, betray the Son of Man. Jesus knows. And by this time, in other gospels, we know that Judas had negotiated with the leaders and given some money to turn him in. We know that by now, which makes this even more astounding what Jesus does. I do not speak concerning all of you, Judas excluded. I know whom I have chosen. But the, that's pretty cool. Uh, everybody, are you chosen by God or do you, are you responsible to receive the Lord yourself? Yeah. The answer is yes, it's both. And here we see, don't be afraid of it, you've been chosen. Man, I like to be chosen. You ever been in gym class like around second or third grade and you're the last one picked? No fun. But the Lord's chosen us, a ragtag bunch of people, to go and to uh, show the world his love. He's chosen them and he's chosen you. That is a wonderful, heartwarming thing. He's chosen us, but that the scripture may fulfill or be fulfilled. Uh, this is just fascinating if you follow this through. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Jesus himself, now I want you to catch this, Jesus himself quotes the Psalms right here. And he quotes Psalm 41, verse 9. And most people, well, we know David wrote it, but we, most people believe David was writing this psalm about a guy named Ahithophel. Hard for me to say. You can find this story or these stories about him in 2 Samuel 15 through 17. And Ahithophel was David, King David's great and wise and mighty counselor. He was David's mighty counselor, Ahithophel. And guess what happened? There's this son of David named Absalom. Ever heard of name Absalom? And Absalom made a rebellion against his dad. And here's what happened. Ahithophel betrayed David and became Absalom's counselor. Is everybody tracking so far? And there's this time that, the, uh, that Absalom calls for Ahithophel in uh, this part of the Bible and says, hey, how should we deal with King David? And Ahithophel gives this advice to Absalom. Now keep up with me here because this really makes a difference for this teaching. And uh, Absalom's like, oh, that sounds pretty good, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to call some other counselors, and they come in, and they tell uh, Absalom to do something different than Ahithophel, uh, than Ahithophel's counsel. Everybody's still with me. And so Absalom picks the other counselor's advice. And Ahithophel, for a number of reasons... By the way, Absalom, anyway, uh, for a number of reasons, it all hits him at once. The guilt of jumping ship from David to Absalom. The horror of knowing that he went down the wrong path. The embarrassment 
the bitterness of being the one who betrayed his, you know, king ends up going out and hanging himself, Ahithophel. Now come back to the story in John chapter 13. I don't know, I don't speak concerning all of you. I know who am I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. You get what that's saying? Jesus is saying, the one who is my friend, see, if you ate bread with somebody, or even to this day, if you eat bread with somebody in the Middle East, you're doing something really intimate. Because what do you do? You sort of double dip, folks. But you, but you dip the bread down in there, and you share, and you take in, and people believe that this is one of the most intimate things you could do as friends. Eat a meal together. And what Jesus is saying here is, my friend, the one who eats bread with me or has meals with me, my confidant, my buddy for the last three years, has kicked me right in the stomach. He knows he'll be betrayed. Just like Ahithophel did to David. But watch, but watch, but watch. What's fascinating about this is Ahithophel sort of, you sort of can understand, but don't get too comfortable with it. Ahithophel, you sort of can understand why Ahithophel harbored bitterness and anger and resentment and that, that thing that he wanted to get back at David. You know why? Guess who Ahithophel's the granddaughter was Bathsheba. So think about it. All this stuff inside of this guy ate him up, tore him apart. Are you getting it? And it stemmed from, you know, and then you add on top the betrayal that he did or he committed against his king, the bitterness, the betrayal the understanding that you're really not in God's will, that you've gone down the wrong path. And he went so far as to end his life. Here, in this story, there is no reason to kick Jesus in the gut. The perfect son of man who was without sin, who cared for his friends, who loved his enemies, who would pour out his life. Here, scripture is fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. And so here's what I want to do with you now. This is an amazing part of scripture for watch somebody who has betrayed another. Maybe there's some people in here who are sitting here and you've betrayed a friend and you felt terrible about it and you didn't know what to do and you don't know what to do. And here we're given the answer or watch this. Maybe you've been betrayed by a friend or even an whoever, an enemy, a close one. Maybe you've been betrayed. See, this shows us 
what we do as ones who have been betrayed. Jesus, as Elizabeth Elliot would say, kept a perfectly appropriate, quiet heart. Now, it wasn't that Jesus didn't get emotional about things when he saw people in his temple or in his father's temple treating it like, you know, commerce city. He got out some whips and overturned the table. He, he did. He got righteously angry about things. But see, the things that he knew that his father would take care of, he didn't panic. He didn't get all hot and bothered. He didn't figure out ways to get back at the people. He didn't strike back. He just let the Lord do the battle or do the work. Here it comes. Now I tell you, verse 19, before it comes, that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. So we're seeing here Jesus keeping a quiet heart. Self-control is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Proverbs tells us to be slow to anger. Exodus tells us that God himself, Jesus' father, Jesus, by the way, is God and man, uh, is slow to anger. A quiet heart, not a panicky heart. Who here has a panicky heart sometimes? Look, I'm putting two hands up. He's saying in telling us here how we can navigate being the betrayed person or being the one who has betrayed. You see, I'm sort of giving away the end of the story, but Peter betrayed the Lord. Can you imagine being one of those emotional foot-in-mouth people? Anybody here like that? Yeah. And you just say, I'll never deny you, Lord. And within hours, just hours, some young ladies come through the courtyard. Hey, you're with the, the guy that got inside there. Ooh, I'm not that with him. No way I'm with him. Remember, he denies him. And in fact, in one gospel, it says he curses out the people who try to say he's with them. He curses them. I mean, can you imagine when Jesus comes through the courtyard and one of the gospels says, Jesus and Peter's eyes met. Wow. How Peter must have been feeling. By the way, time out. I always say this is a real spiritual barometer of how you know Jesus. If you think the look Jesus was giving Peter was one of like, hey, idiot, I told you so. I don't think you know Jesus, or at least I don't know Jesus the way. You know what Jesus was doing? Peter, I knew, and I'm still going to restore you. But look, here's what I'm trying to say. If you're the one who has done the betraying, fall upon Jesus for restoration. Peter, he makes it. Not only does he make it, he starts to become a pastor, and many come to receive Jesus as the Lord and Savior through his ministry or the ministry that God gives him, you see? Because he flung himself on Jesus and said, you're right, Jesus, I can't trust my flesh. I'm up and down. I say I won't do things and I do them. I say I will do things and I won't do them. And Jesus, or Jesus restores Peter. 
and he becomes fruitful in his ministry. What happens to Judas? He doesn't fling himself on Jesus, and he ends up kaput. The choice is simple here. The betraying person is to fling themselves upon the mercy and grace of Jesus and admit what they've done is wrong. But you say, well, wait a minute. I'm the one who's been betrayed. Then watch what Jesus does right here. Jesus says, hey, I've been kicked in the gut. I know it. But now I tell you before it comes to pass that when it does come to pass, watch this that you may believe that I am he. And by the way, he right here is in italics in my Bible because right here Jesus says, you'll believe that I am. He calls himself the title of God. In other words, watch this, watch this. You're not going to believe it, but it's right here in front of your face. When you've been betrayed, there's never a greater opportunity at all than to draw close to Jesus and recognize him and know him in deeper ways than you never would have known before. Are you getting this? This is amazing. So Jesus says, I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. By the way, that's what prophecy is supposed to do. Don't be afraid of prophecy. When the things come to pass that Jesus predicts or that God has sent through the prophets, we're getting ready to study Daniel. What are we going to do at the end? We're going to go, oh boy. I've grown in deeper ways knowing who you are, Lord. That's what prophecy does. Verse 20, most assuredly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me. And he who receives me receives uh, me, uh, him who sent me. And he who receives me receives him uh, who sent me. Now, I want you to think this through a little bit. Just stay with me. I know I could be boring. But you don't want to be bored with this. Because when you read through this, you go, wait a minute chapter or verse 20 right here, verse 20. Why is verse 20 in there? It doesn't even seem like it should be in there. Uh, but here Jesus is teaching his followers, his disciples. And I want you to see something. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. Who sent Jesus? God the Father. Are you getting this? And this is talking about what his followers are to be. Just raise your hand in your heart if you're a follower of Jesus. Are you a follower of Jesus? Watch this. You are so, to be so closely identified with Jesus that when you go and are received by somebody... I don't know, you go to somebody's house, you go to the Christmas party where they're all partying and telling dirty jokes. Uh, maybe you're, you, uh, I don't know, you're going out to the soccer field, uh, anything. You're out, girls' night out, whatever it is, guys' night out, women's, whatever. 
look, you're so closely identified with Jesus. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me. That when you go to these places, these people might not be able to put their finger on it, but they know there's something different. There's a sweetness there. There's a strength there. There's a humility there. There's grace there. You are exuding the character of Christ. His nature, his words, his life, his fragrance, so that wherever you go, people are like, whoa. Some people are going to say, whoa, get out of my face. But other people are going to go, whoa, the fragrance of life itself. Hey, by the way, one of my favorite chapters of the Bible, I think it's 2 Corinthians 5.20. 5 is my favorite uh, chapter. I think it's 20. You can look it up and check me, but it's in there. Paul calls us what? Ambassadors of Christ or for Christ. Do you know this? You're an ambassador. You don't need to have the president tell you anything. You're an ambassador right now, right here. And what you're an ambassador of or the person you're an ambassador of is Jesus, which means, look, you're more loyal to him than you are to your own agenda. Remember, that's what we talked about as being a servant. It's his agenda, not your agenda. And when you go out and about, you're so closely related to the one that you represent, it's as if the one you represent is there anyway. And I want you to see, most assuredly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me, look at this, receives him who sent me. Which means, watch, you're bringing people to the Father. But the only thing you're doing is just pointing them to Jesus. He's the one that does the work, of course. You're just pointing them to Jesus. You're an ambassador. Now that fits in here because Jesus is extending every opportunity for the one who has kicked him in the stomach, the head. He's extending every opportunity in love and grace for him to receive him. For Judas to receive him, and he keeps rejecting the offers. Watch this. When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit. Now, how in the world would Jesus be troubled in spirit when he already knows what Judas is going to do? By the way, he does. In chapter 6, he talks about one betraying him. Jesus knows. But why in the world would Jesus still be troubled in spirit? Why wouldn't he have just said it? Yeah, I know what's going to happen. It's over. It's this reason. Because Ezekiel tells us the Lord has no pleasure, zero pleasure in the death of the wicked. The Lord has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. It's the Lord's heart that all should be saved, come to repentance. That's the Lord's heart. And you're going to see it even more as we go through this story. When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit. My goodness. 
and testified and said, most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Now, this is just amazing. We live on this side of the story and we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We know it's Judas. We know, we know, man, how dark and dastardly that must and evil. But I want you to know in a different gospel, all of the disciples, when they hear this, go at the supper, go this, they go like this. They go, oh, is it me? In other words, watch this. Boy, does the church need to hear this. Judas was your model churchite. He smiled. He kept the money. They trusted him. He was a good, upstanding, outwardly appearing guy. He heard all the sermons. He went. He actually was given power to do some healings. Three and a half years of hearing and living. And when they get to the end, I want you to see the 11 don't suspect it's him. Boy, is that a word for us. Paul says, examine our hearts. You don't have to worry about your salvation if you know that you, your spirit bears witness with the Spirit of God that He is Father. But don't fool yourself. Do not fool yourself. If you just come to church and you just try to live a smiley lifestyle and you've never gotten down on your knees you know, whether it's figuratively or really, and just bowed before the Lord and said, I know I'm a sinner, Lord. And I want you to come into my life like Peter had to do. He just had to admit, I can't do it. I tried in my own strength and every time, foot in mouth. Or you could go on like Judas and keep posing and keep posing and keep posing. Obviously, nobody wants that. The disciples were perplexed. Verse 23, now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. And we talked about this last week. The disciple who Jesus loved is John. John's on one side of Jesus, and we're going to find out. Can you hardly believe it? Judas is on the other side of Jesus at this triclinium. It's not a table that's straight like this that you see in the famous painting. It's a U-shaped table. And apparently, as we're going to see, Peter wasn't near Jesus, John, and Judas. We'll see that in a minute. But here, here's the one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. And Simon Peter, therefore, motioned to him. That's why we think Simon Peter wasn't close, which makes me sort of laugh. <laughs> And he does something to get his attention, John's attention, to ask who it was of whom he spoke. In other words, watch this, watch. You know there's great counsel. The Bible tells us take counsel with the wise, but here's who to take counsel from. You, you know who you want to take counsel from? It's not the book smart people. Nobody here, I guarantee it, you, you might like it just as me, and I'm not bragging, but nobody here thinks 
we shouldn't be in the word more than me. And lots of you are, we're all kind of on the same thing, but you know what? I want the word not to just be here for me. I want it to be here. I want to find Jesus in the word for me. And I want it for you too. I want to have experiences in the right way where the Lord brings me through and I can trust him more and more. That should be a hymn. To trust him more and more and to lean on him more and more. And when I need counsel, you know who I like to go to? People who I know have a relationship with Jesus, not facts. You get it? And that's what Peter does. He's smart. He knows there's something about John, even though they're in competition. Remember, they're fighting about who's to be the greatest. There's something about John he knows. That guy knows he's loved. And I'm going to ask him, who is it? And then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to them, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, it is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. Remember, this is fulfilling scripture, Psalm 41.9. It's this place of honor. If you dipped a piece of bread and gave it to somebody at one of these meals, it's like you're toasting somebody. It's an honor. You're honoring the person. Can you believe it? Up until the very end, here's Jesus trying, begging in the right way. You get what I'm saying? Pursuing, there, there's a better word, pursuing Judas. Here, I want to honor you. Please don't do it. Come on, come to me. And yet, the Lord knows. There was leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples, uh, Simon motions to him, leading back, Lord, who is it? Verse 26, Jesus answered, it's to whom I shall give this piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now, after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Now, remember, this was already in the heart of Judas. If you go back to verse 2, supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. And yet Jesus is asking and begging and pleading. And here's the point. You know, the question, why would God send somebody to hell? Well, Here's what the Lord does. He just ratifies what you choose. And that's what happened here. Judas just kept over and over and over and over again, choosing the path without God. Watch this. All the while maintaining the smile and being a churchite. And so Satan enters Judas. And then Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. Jesus knew. Even though he took the bread, he knew in his heart that Judas had chosen to go the way of, the, of darkness. But no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to him. For some thought, because Judas had the money box. Can you believe that Judas had the money box? Anyway, uh, because Judas had the money box that Jesus had said to him, buy those things we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. Uh, by the way, what else does this tell us about people? Not in some weird, strange way, but when people come to church, including myself, there might be some things that 
are happening inside that you can't see from outside. Do you get that? Uh, And so let's put aside what Judas did for a second. Here's what I say if you want to minister here. You want to minister here? You want to minister people? Here's what I say. Set your alarm about 40 minutes earlier. Come early to church and stay late. And here's why. You can ask somebody, how you doing downstairs over the coffee? And you can sort of really mean it instead of just rushing out. You can mean it and you can find out what's going on with this person. Is there anything I can do to help or pray? Because maybe you're smiling, but maybe you're hurting inside, or maybe you're, uh, uh, you know, have decisions to make that are weighing heavily upon you, right? That's a great way to minister is to come early and to stay late and to be real with people. You don't have to always talk about sports. That's a shot at me. Well, anyway, having received the piece of bread, verse 30, he then went out immediately and why does he write this? It was night because John's theme is darkness and light, day and night. And here what he's saying is not only was it nighttime, but Judas picked the way of darkness. He chose the way of darkness. It's an ominous verse. Well, check this out in verse 31. So when he had gone out, Jesus said, now the son of man is glorified and God is glorified in him. I want you to count with me. Will you count with me? We'll read it again. Count with me how many times glory or glorified is said right here. So when he had gone out, Jesus said, now the son of man is glorified one and God is glorified in him too. If God is glorified in him three, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify uh, uh, him immediately. Five right there. One sentence. Bing, bing. Two sentences. Five times. Glory. Now I want you to know something. Turn over to Daniel chapter 7. Uh, Daniel chapter 7. And I want you to read with me about the Son of Man. The Son of Man is a messianic title. And if you look in chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, watch this. We can knock out chapter 7 right here. We'll skip that. No, I'm kidding. I was watching in the night visions, verse 13 of Daniel 7, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed. Now remember, <laughs> folks, if you were Jewish, you knew that's that prophecy. And what that prophecy seems to say is when the Messiah comes, he's going to reign over all kingdoms. And the Orthodox folks of this time, or the people of this time, the religious leaders of this time, would teach then that the Messiah was going to set up his kingdom immediately. But we know that there had to be glory first. And the glory was not what you would expect. Palaces, money in the coffers, complete peace and prosperity the first time. No, the glory that Jesus is talking about, about himself, before the kingdoms, there must be the cross. 
he had to march to his death. How was he going to glorify himself and the Father? By bowing low, even to the point of death on a cross. That's glory. The first time around. Remember, Jesus is coming again. His second coming. To set up the kingdoms, of course. Well, anyway, it goes on, and then he uses this phrase... Jesus uses this phrase that he only uses one time in the Gospels. That's little children. John was so impressed by this, he used it several times in his little letters, or in at least one little letter. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I'm going, you cannot come. So now I say to you. Really puzzling. This puzzled me for a while. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. By the way, Jesus has already said in Matthew before this time in the Gospels, greatest commandment, love God and love your neighbor, what? As yourself. And now he says, I'm going to give you a new commandment that you love one another. See, I sort of scratch my head right there. In fact... In the great book of Leviticus, and I'm not kidding, I love that book. In the great book of Leviticus, it sets it forth there. You're to love one another, and you're to love your neighbor, and of course the, you know, uh, the Ten Commandments and all that stuff shows how we love God, and then we, how we love on the horizontal people. It explains that. But here, Jesus says, I'm going to give you a new commandment. Now, watch, watch, and we'll close out. New does not mean in addition to this word. He could have used two, two uh, words for new. He used the one that means refreshed, not in addition to. In other words, Jesus is refreshing the commandment. This is a fresh way of thinking of the commandment. And why is it so fresh this time? Because he says, I don't want you to love the way you love yourself, although that's still applicable in the sense that you think about yourself all the time, at least I do. But I want you to love, watch this, as I've loved you. Now see, watch, don't, I know it's late, don't bow out on this. Oh, wait a minute. So you know what you do? When you read this, you go, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Watch, by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You should be scrambling everywhere in your Bible. How did Jesus love people? Well, you know what? One place you can see it is in the famous marriage chapter. In Ephesians chapter 5, I believe. We're to love, husbands are to love their wives. Watch this. As Christ loved the church, now finish the verse for me, and gave himself for her. So one of the things, watch this, one of the ways in which we should be loving others is sacrificing our lives for others. That's the new. That's the refresh. I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also 
love one another. Now, I want you to think about some other ways that Jesus loved people. You know what Jesus didn't care about? Class distinctions. He didn't care. Rich, I love you. Poor, love you. He didn't care about racial things. Samaritans, love you. I mean, all the distinctions in Christ go away. Paul says it. Don't treat people, the rich people in your fellowship, different than the poor people. Don't do that. There's no distinction in the love. I want you to catch that. Who here, I just got to tell you, raise your hand in your heart. Who here needs to pray for that kind of love? I need that kind of love from the Lord. Here's, yes, sister, that's right. I need it too. I'm with you. Who needs this? Who needs, you know, who, who, who's ready to go out and love the unlovable? The people, you, you ever, you, come on, in your humanness, the ones that just rub you the wrong way. The ones that are irritating. The ones that don't do the things that you want them to do. Or act the way you want them to. See, Jesus makes a beeline for those people. You getting this? And I, you could go on and on about his love. It keeps coming after. It doesn't give up. When he gets kicked in the face or kicked in the head or kicked in the stomach, he keeps offering a, a friendship token. He keeps honoring. He keeps blessing people who are even going to betray him in the back, string him up. He'll be up there and say, Father, Forgive them. I don't need, they don't even know what they're doing. This is the heart of Jesus. But here's the thing, folks. It's the heart that he gives you. And the problem is we do love like Peter did love. We think, oh, well, we're sort of nice people who can love people. And what we do is we try to live and act in our own natural love that God has given us. But the point of that is, it'll run out sometime. You can love for a little bit, but it'll run out. No, no, see, you and I and we, we need the love of God that's shed abroad in our hearts from the Holy Spirit, Romans 5. We need supernatural love. If this is going to be radical and real and authentic, this life that we live. We're going to love people. I don't see it said right here. Boy, I'll get hammered for this one. I want to be the best technical theologian ever, and everybody's going to know me by that, and they're going to know I'm a Jesus follower because I'm the greatest technical theologian. Man, I gave a lot of money. Christian, I was nice to old ladies. I was nice to old men. No, we love one another. We love people without distinction. That means Republicans and Democrats and Green Party and Independents. I love them. I don't love everything that everybody does. Neither do you. But I love them, and you love them, and Jesus loves them. We better watch what we put and post. Of course we stand up for righteousness. Of course. Nobody's saying that. But if you're getting to the point where you're hating people, read this again. 
We need the supernatural love of Christ. I love what Billy Graham said about this. I don't love the right wing and I don't love the left wing. I love the whole chicken. I think he actually said bird, but I love the whole bird. Well, Simon Peter, look at this, verse 36, said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus said, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. In fact, before you get to the end of this book, Jesus is going to predict how Peter dies. Peter dies, by the way, upside down, crucified. Extra biblical history tells us. Jesus predicts it. But he can't follow him now because Jesus is going to die. Rise again. Ascend to the Father. And then there would be a, a future time in which Peter would join. And Peter said to him, Lord, why, why can't I follow you now? Watch this. Here he goes again. Here he goes. I will lay down my life for your sake. And Jesus answered and said, Will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me. Three times. In other words, Jesus said it, but very nicely, really? If you can't live for me, how are you going to die for me? If you can't live for me, how will you die for me? And I don't think he said it as a smarter like, like I'd say it. He's teaching him a lesson. In other words, hey, Peter, you got to quit relying on your own natural strength and your own conjuring up of love you need my love you need my life to live this life who here wants jesus's life well it's the great exchange your life for his let's pray well lord thank you so much for this word and for all that you're doing and um, as we conclude our worship service here today with a worship song, Lord. May we say in our hearts, come Lord Jesus and give us this love and life. Lord, help us not to rely on our own strength or flesh, but to rely upon your life and help us to deny ourselves as we take up our cross daily. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Now, before we go... Is